All right, we'll get started this morning. We'll open up with prayer, and we'll hop into our lesson this morning. Yeah, go ahead. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, we can definitely pray for for Christine. Absolutely. All right. 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 Yeah. Any other Any other prayer requests? All right. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's go ahead and open up with prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this opportunity to partake in um, the fellowship of your word and with one another. We thank you for the grace that you give us that is in Christ Jesus, how we are strengthened and nourished in him. We pray that you would bless this time and give us what we truly need. Renew us with greater and greater degrees of glory. Father, we do lift up our sister in Christ, Miss Christine, and pray. One, we thank you for her surgery, but two, we pray that you would give her the strength that she needs to glorify you in this time of pain. We pray that you would provide that through your Holy Spirit and give her physical relief and comfort during this time. We know that you are the one who provides and cares for your people, and we do trust you. We pray that you would bless all these things for your namesake. Amen. So this morning, we're going to continue on with the fear of man study, and uh, we will address the subject of the fear of exposure. So this is one of the Capitol Hill Baptist core seminars, so a lot of the material is going to be based on uh, what, what was provided there. So if you want to ask it as a question, how do we fear man? And the response this week is, we fear they will expose us. And this will lead into next week's lesson, which is the fear of rejection, which almost goes hand in hand with the fear of exposure. Right? If you think of exposure as the, the finding out, the rejection is the response to this new knowledge. So let's, I, want, I want to start this morning with a quote in uh, this book, Losing Our Virtue by David Wells. He writes, At the root of all experiences of shame is the sense that we have been exposed and uncovered. We know ourselves to be something other than what we hoped. And this revelation often comes when others come to see, accidentally and without warning, a side to us about which we feel vulnerable and embarrassed. We feel as if we have been wounded by what they now know. So the fear of scorn is part of the experience of shame, as is 
anxiety. I feel like that quote just really dives into the matter, right? This issue of embarrassment, this issue of vulnerability, this issue of shame. In fact, I think we can even see this in its uh, strongest forms when we think of um, uh, what can get displayed in media coverage and news, right? Uh, where they'll put out the, the strongest forms of scandal or cover-up. Um, and these demonstrations speak to, to, to a deeper personal fear of shame, of exposure. Uh, and, and, in, and almost in some sense, um, there, there's a delight that's taken in the shame and embarrassment of others. And it's this, it's this pleasure that happens that causes us to fear. It's this scorn and this finding out from others that causes us to cover and to hide. So we're going to think in a couple categories this morning. Uh, we're going to start with, with origins or why do we fear being exposed, right? That's going to take us back to the beginning. We're then going to think about um, what does this look like? You know, how we demonstrate fear and, 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 and avoid being exposed. What does that look like for a Christian, someone who's not a Christian? And the shame and fear of exposure in our world today with a particular note on social media. Then we'll spend a minute contemplating uh, some examples from Scripture. And we see shame and fear and exposure, and then what happens as a result of that? And, and, and what, what can we learn or benefit from? And then we'll return to what this means for the Christian life and tying this back into uh, some particular opponents related to sanctification. So with that, I'd like to open up uh, from a question standpoint. And... and um, this question is intended to be more general, not um, uh, uh, specifically to uh, a specific item that you are struggling with. But what are ways or, or what are general categories of which we can be vulnerable, right? So it's not necessarily like a particular thing for yourself, but maybe what are some general categories? If we were trying to start, you know, big picture from the top, what are some general categories that we could think of that make us vulnerable, Right, when we think about other people and ourselves. Nobody wants to be vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. All right, yeah. That's right. I'm going to turn up the temperature. No. <laughs> well, yeah, so what are some of the general categories? in which we can be vulnerable.
No, that's a that's a really good point. Speaking to um, uh, relationships, uh, and then all, all the different categories of relationships, and then you think of uh, failures. Go ahead, Sabrina. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, when I was nine years old, I moved to England, and then I was asked during the convocation to read the opening scriptural prayer, and afterwards, my sister ran up to me, and she goes, I was so proud of you, everybody was laughing at you, and you just kept on reading, and I didn't hear them laughing, but they were laughing at my American accent, you know, but for, for the next, you know, decades, I had a fear of public speaking. So it was, a, it was an issue of vulnerability mm-hmm. because of my history. Yes. And so I think, you know, different people have been through different things, and then that causes them to be vulnerable if they, you know, because of past hurt or just, just how they've been treated, whether by parents or by teachers, classmates. Yes. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, history becomes a huge component, right? Because uh, as people, we, uh, we don't want pain. Right, so we're going to preserve ourselves, and that's kind of like the, the, the tension with vulnerability is protection, right? And, 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 and that's, those are two biblical things, right? It's not like they're necessarily uh, uh, to, be, to be separated, but it's that, it's that balance between them. No, I think that's important, right? You think about relationships, uh, where, where this pl- takes place. You think about someone's history in relation to people or situations, um, uh, some other things that come to mind are maybe it's a particular weakness, right? And, and, and to you, that, that weakness feels glaring or that you are not up to par, uh, that, that you don't meet a certain standard. Uh, you think about um, personalities, right? So it's very easy to feel vulnerable when you think about the way that God made you. And uh, I, I particularly think about this from a standpoint of people in their teen years developing uh, into uh, young adults and adults, just the, the, the struggle, the difficulty that comes through those years and you know, asking questions about who am I and you know, do I like myself and you know, why do I have hair like I do and why do I laugh at jokes like that and you know, um, all these definitions of cool and other things. And, and I think, you know, it's um, not just to highlight for, for teen years, but I think for all of us, right, we, we struggle at some level, right, with, with who we are um, and what other people think about us in, in that standpoint, you know, from a personality or um, the things that make us us. Uh, and even, even too, on a, on a physical level, right, the way we look, the kind of hair that we have, uh, right, and all, all those things that come um, from that standpoint, right? And they do, they make us feel vulnerable, right? It's like, someone going to judge me because I'm not, right? You just kind of fill in the blank. So, um, and I think all of those are something that we all have to work through in our sanctification with being comfortable with who we are in Christ. But in particular this morning, I want us to really more focus on this aspect of uh, exposure from, from a sin and shame standpoint. So, right, because we, we can think about these categories and vulnerabilities with, you know, hey, I'm going to open up with someone and they're going to kind of see my true self with what I laugh at and, you know, um, 
uh, some of the things that make me me. And, and I think there's an important point to that. But one element that I think is important for us, especially when we think through the nature of the fear of man, how it ties in with worship and idolatry, is to really get at the issue of shame um, and, and guilt as it relates to sin and how that creates a unique complex uh, with us as people made in God's image. So that, that, that leads us into our first section. Why do we fear being exposed? And I think we've thought through some, some helpful categories, but again, going to this issue is almost a direct correspondence to going back to the beginning, right? Because going back to the beginning is where this tension is created. So turn with me in your Bible. Let's, we'll start in Genesis 1. We're going to look at 1, 2, and 3 as, uh, as several of these um, unfold. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to take a look at verses 26 through 28. And uh, if, if we have a volunteer willing to read, um, would anyone be willing to read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28? Sure. Thanks, Tim. Perfect. Thank you, Tim. So what we read here with humanity's beginning is the creation of man and woman made as images of God. And in verse 31 we read, And behold, all of this was very good. So... And, and, and this is important, right? And, and there's a lot of implications that come with being uh, made in the image of God or being images of God. Um, uh, but without getting into details of those, I'd like us to keep working our way into Genesis 2 and 3. And then we're going to kind of work out some of these implications as we put this together. So in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read verses 20 through 25. Take another volunteer if someone's willing to read. All right, Anna. Excellent. 
So here in verse 20, it's key to note at the end of verse 20 that God brings all of the animals to Adam to name them, right? A part of his kingly function. But then none of them were comparable to be a helpmeet or a companion to him, right? In the way in which God intended. And so um, God then creates woman out of man for man, for mutual companionship. And so we see in verses 23 and 24, the first wedding, we see a covenant made between man and woman coming together. And then in verse 25 is the celebration of this. They are both naked and were not ashamed. And this is, this is crucial when we go into chapter 3, where we see just, just the opposite and what happens when sin is introduced in the picture. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. And again, we're going to tie all this eventually back into this idea of fear of being exposed or, or the fear that comes with shame. So let us read verses 6 through 10 of chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. So I think from a pattern standpoint, I think it's helpful to identify this. There are eyes opened, right? Or there's this awareness that comes. Then there, with this new knowledge, there is this being exposed, right? Or, 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 or literally that they were naked and they understood this. They then respond to this by covering themselves. And then they hide themselves from the Lord. Right, there's a running and fleeing from the Lord God coming to them in the garden. Right, and this pattern's significant, right, because this cycle continues into our day. Right, we're all born with sin natures, and this cycle continues. Now, I'd like to read. This is a little bit of a longer quote from Meredith Klein um, in his book Kingdom Prologue, but he, I think, he does a, a really helpful job helping us understand what exactly is taking place here in these short couple of verses in Genesis chapter 3. He says, Even before the judicial disclosures made in formal pronouncements of the Lord, a process of self-exposure and self-judgment on the part of Adam and Eve had already occurred. Theirs was the godlike vocation to discern between good and evil, right? They had this responsibility that they were tasked with in the garden. And no sooner had they sinned by judging God to be evil and the devil to be good than involuntarily and more accurately, their own consciences delivered a verdict of evil against themselves, right? There is this 
immediate self-pronouncement that they make, right? In this realization. And it took the form of a sense of shame over their physical nakedness. What was not a source of shame within the husband-wife relationship established in creation, right? Just in the beginning uh, that, that that we had read, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, had become so in the altered relationship resulting from the temptation. In the course of the temptation, they had repudiated their marriage as it had been defined in the creation ordinance, right? You think about that. God defined it good and... um, uh, And like it says in verse 25, they were naked and they were not ashamed, right? And so that was good... And then they take what was good and now find it to be evil. So there's this repudiation of the way that God had set up marriage between them. And this is the role that sin is making. And he he goes on to note um, uh, how this brought confusion and shame to them in their condition of alienation, compelling them to hide from one another's eyes by clothing over that nakedness. If hiding from each other was an exposure of their unlawful, uh, uh, what Klein says, severing of their marriage covenant with one another, their hiding from God betrayed their guilty awareness of having broken the covenant with Him. Judgment by parousia, or by coming, by the Lord coming to them, this confrontation is a trial by ordeal in which the guilty person's own reaction is self-incriminating. Right? By the Lord coming, it exposed, it exposed them. And then their response was self-incriminating. Why did you run and hide? The attempt to conceal sin was precisely the opposite result of revealing it. For the guilty pair in Eden to flee in terror from the glory spirit in whose presence those faithful to the covenant find their ultimate bliss was an open confession of their alienation and divorce from their holy Lord. And then he goes on to say, their hiding from God under the covering of the trees like they're hiding from each under under the the covering of leaves, pointed to a sense of shameful nakedness. In this case, a spiritual nakedness which they felt before God's eyes. This nakedness resulted from their loss of the covering of righteousness, the garment of the beauty of holiness. They had lost the ethical glory of God-likeness, which is the prerequisite to stand as priests before the face of God and reflect the glory of God. And he goes on to say, and in reality, they ended up taking on the image of the serpent. And so, again, I know that's a little bit of a longer quote, but I think there's some important implications to work out from here. right? And this is going to kind of lead us into the to the rest of the rest of Scripture, the trajectory of redemptive history. So when we think of the case of Adam and Eve, I think it's really important, again, that we root ourselves 
in this idea of sin and its associated guilt and shame. And in particular, what we saw was covenant breaking with the Lord, right? And what the results were from that. But there's also a sense, too, in Genesis chapter 3, that when the Lord comes to them, because they had broken fellowship with Him in their sin, there is this fear of condemnation. Right? There is a fear of disapproval, a fear of associated judgment, and resultant punishment. And that God would see them for who they really were now. right? As people that were defiled. As people who had lost something. And, and this leads us into this next implication or something we take out from the text. And this relates to this idea of God's image and the defilement that takes place with being in God's image. So there's a sense in which God's ethical image in man is completely lost and destroyed because he no longer reflects God. And so there's a sense in which man has lost the image of God in that sense. But there's another sense in which the image of God is maintained, right, in that we are all creatures from God, but it is defiled or polluted because of the corrupting influence of sin. Now, this creates this tension that all of us live with, both before coming to Christ and in the Christian life. And that tension is this. We have placed on us this sense of ought, right? This, this moral obligation that sits on us and our conscience reflects it. When we go beyond the bounds of what has been laid on us in creation, there then results this sense of guilt or shame or a, a, an associated desire to cover and hide ourselves from what we are experiencing internally. But again, this, is, this goes all the way back to the garden, and this relates directly to being God's images and being defiled and polluted images. And, and, and just as a point, and this will kind of lead us into the end of Genesis chapter 3. That tension requires redemption, right? And redemption restores what was intended in creation and to make it better, right? So redemption then functions to help alleviate this tension that comes from being polluted or corrupted from the fall. So look with me real quick at the at the uh, at the end of Genesis chapter three, right? I think there's an, a, a couple of important points. So in verses twenty and twenty one, God says, "The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living." And without going into a lot of details here, this shows a believing response to the promise of redemption in the curse of the serpent. That God promised he would crush Satan and defeat his seed, and it would come through the seed of the woman. And verses 20 and 21 are that response in faith, seeing that God will provide and that death will be undone. 
And then in verses 23 and 24, God then expels man and woman from Eden. And then he blocks it with the cherubim. That never to return, right? And so here we have this picture and it sets up scripture for us later on. This idea that sin defiles God's special presence and then God takes those people and he expels them from his special presence. Right? And, and, and that ties in to our sin and shame because it compounds it. So before moving on from the fall, I think it's if, if we were just to think in you know two major categories as we come to the end of Genesis three, let's at least see see these two. One, the effect of the fall, right? And, and we can equate that in this way: I don't want you to know me as I am. I don't want you to know me as I am. But then I I think, even more importantly, the effect of redemption. I want you to know me as I am in keeping with the Holy Spirit. Right? There is something that internally changes within us where we want people to know us as the Spirit changes us. And there's a... um, And just, I'll read a quote here that I found this in particularly helpful from the material. With the entrance of sin and coexistence of shame, the temptation to hide and cover that shame arose as well. The temptation to cover, to hide, to retreat inward, to build paper walls of personal self-protection are now an everyday temptation because of our sin and corresponding shame. And Ed Welch gives this really good analogy using... Halloween, something we're all very familiar with. Every day is Halloween. Putting on our masks is a regular part of our morning ritual, just like brushing our teeth and eating breakfast. Underneath the masks are people who are terrified that there will be an unveiling. And indeed, the masks and other coverings will one day be removed. If we feel exposed by people we will feel devastated by God. And so as a result, one one of the ways that people deal with this, one way to avoid God's eyes is to live as if fear of other people is our deepest problem. That people are big and not God. So, just as a follow-up question, if we think about this for a minute, what influence do you think pride plays in keeping us in fear of being exposed? What role do you think pride would play? Good, Harrison. Yeah, it's the root. Yeah. Yeah, that we don't want to come to terms with who we really are and let other people see us for who we are, right? So then pride is going to be, I'm going to keep up an image that's not real, right? So I'll get praise from other people or, or things of that nature. A- absolutely. Absolutely. 
So let us go to um, let us go to the second point. How do we demonstrate fear and avoid being exposed? So in this, I thought it might be helpful if we think of this in terms of how, uh, how a non-Christian processes this, right? Someone who's outside of Christ, someone who is of the world. And then how does a Christian ideally process this, right? What, is this, what does this look like? And so, uh, you know, we, we just think of this, right? We're being born in the world. We are born in sin. We inherit a sin nature. We inherit a defiled conscience. And part of the result is our purpose is living for ourselves in 101 million different ways of how that will manifest, right? And as such, when sin occurs... There's associated shame, right? Because of the guilt, because of what has actually taken place, the violation of the conscience. And, there, and, and, and it generates a new vulnerability, right? I'm not who I should have been. It goes back to that ought that's placed on us, right? Being images of God. How will, and, then, and then it raises a question. How, how will sinners view themselves, right? And this goes back, this, con, this conflict, who I ought to be and who I really am. Right? And instead of going to the Lord to find forgiveness and acceptance right, as the foundation, instead there's a retreat, there's a hiding from the Lord. right? And, and again, this, there's a panorama of responses. right? And so some might involve thinking about God in this retreat. You know, God doesn't care or you know, God doesn't judge people. You know, I'm, I'm good, right? As they kind of work it out in their, in, you know, internally. Or... Right? And I think this is almost more natural in our culture, is people live atheistic lives, right? where there's really not much contemplation about God at all when we think about the, the practical, uh, the, the practical day-in, day-out um, living. And so instead, people become the pedestal where we want acceptance and comfort and hope as opposed to God. Right? God uh, is perceived as small, not relevant, and significant. And so this creates this tension. Inwardly, people know that there's something wrong, right? And that, um, uh, but then at the same time, because of our sin nature, there's also this fear, I don't want to be exposed, right? It, because there's this sense in which we know it will be devastating, right? There, there's no hope in this natural condition. But instead... What, what, do, what do we do? What do humans do? They look for hope and comfort and peace in all the wrong places. So they take what are good things in and of themselves in creation and they pervert them into bad things because they make them ultimate things. Right? And that, that's the nature of idolatry. So... They, they seek this comfort that they want because of, because of the feeling created from shame and not wanting to be exposed. And so they go and look for this comfort and peace and hope and other things, right? And maybe you, know, you, just think, you think of one, right? You think of um, 
right, in particular, going over the fear of man. So you think of relationships. Relationships are good things, right? But then idolatry can pervert it to the point where receiving someone's approval or disapproval becomes an ultimate matter for us. To the point that we're willing to sin if we don't get it, right? And this just ties in because we look, or, 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 or people of the world, and, 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 and to be frank, we do this as well as Christians. We are tempted in all of these ways still, right, to find comfort or hope in, in all of these things. So then, right, to contrast. So to contrast, so you have, you have, you have a, a worldly sinner, if you will, you know, uh, just natural, going on, living life for themselves. And then you contrast that, someone who is in Christ, someone believing in Christ. And, and again, here I think um, it might be helpful for us to distinguish between the ideal, right, and the real, right? The reality is we are still tempted with all of these things and more. Right? Just because our sin nature has been broken and defeated in Christ doesn't mean that it's gone. Right? We still battle with the flesh. So when we, think of, when we think of this, we need to think of this in the sense of ideally. Right? So we also sin. Right? We, same temptation. We also sin. Our, conv- our conscience convicts. Uh, there could be a sense of shame for our guilt. But right, in contrast to people who don't know the Lord, instead, instead of hiding from the Lord, we go to the Lord because there is no fear of condemnation. There's no fear of exposure in this terrible sense. Instead, we know that we have already received God's approval in Christ, in our justification, that we are forgiven and received. And that this is complete and permanent, never to be reversed. And we not only know that, but we know that God intends good for us in slowly transforming us, in changing us, right, purifying us, that it will work out well for us. And so then, for Christians, when we think of sin and shame, we are tempted to retreat and hide. But in reality... There should be this going forth to the Lord because we know Him and He has accepted us and there is no fear in Christ. And so, and we'll, we'll go over this when we get closer to the end, but this bleeds over into the church, right? Into, into committed Christian relationships and, and in particular in the local church, right? With ways in which... Um, we feel vulnerable together and we affirm one another in, in that. So, briefly, I just want to uh, just, just mention a, a passing comment as we address um, the social media, right? Social media, in one sense, is a, a new phenomenon, right? As, as we develop technology, and if anything, what it's done, and again, social media is neutral in, in, in one sense. It's neutral, right? It can be used for the glory of God, and it can be used 
um, in the worst forms of, of evil, right? It, it can be used for either, right? But in particular with social media, there can be a way in which we have control over our digital image. And, and, and again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? We want to show people, you know, the, the better parts of us. You know, that, that's not necessarily, a, you know, a bad thing, right? Or for people to rejoice with us as we share things on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or, or any of these th things of this nature. But where we need to be careful is building an image on social media and then investing ourselves that way where we think of ourselves as this perfect person, right? Who's always put together, no problems, no issues. And then in our hearts, that's what we want to communicate. We want people to look at us and praise us and think, man, they don't have anything to be ashamed of. Look at them, you know, and it, and it, and it, and it gains the praise and, and uh, 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 of others, right? Now, again, so just to, again to, to qualify, I don't mean that in the sense like don't post stuff and don't comment on people. No, that there's nothing uh, wrong. There's there, there can be you know a, a communal sense of that. But it's just when we start to put our identity in these controlled pictures of who we portray ourselves to be, there's there's a danger and temptation for us instead of being able to be real with who we are. Now again, does that mean you go on social media and just be completely vulnerable with everyone? No, I don't think that's wise, right? Uh, vulnerability demands commitment, right? right? That, that, that's, how, that's how you're able to keep protection and vulnerability in balance is through commitment, right? Like you see that in marriage where you can be extremely vulnerable because there is an oath of there's a, that commitment. So, so let, let's transition for a second. Let's just kind of think of the whole spectrum of, of scripture. What are some examples of, of either shame, you know, wh whether it's in a good light or bad light, um, uh, or, or maybe positive or negative, I should say, uh, or, or fear of exposure. Can you guys think of any other examples of shame or fear of exposure in, in scripture? Or, or people, uh, when they sinned and then uh, out of fear of exposure, they go and start responding and doing things, you know, which normally, you know, makes it worse. Can you guys think of? Yeah. 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 So, um, do you remember a little more of the story you mind sharing? All right. I think they asked who did it, and then instead of being honest, he went and buried his treasure under the tent. And then when they were supposed to come forward, the Lord asked for them to come forward and believe that he did not. And then they what, had to talk to cast lots, maybe? Yeah, it was a slow yeah. confession at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. So with Achan, yeah, and Joshua, in the book of Joshua, right, he goes and then takes the gold and then hides it, right? When the Lord said, you are not allowed to take any spoil, right? And so it was out of that fear of being caught, knowing that he shouldn't do that, right? It generated this fear. And then even in uh, the time of questioning, he didn't come forward. It was, it was at the very end, you know, and he's like, yeah, I did it, you know. Um, so, yeah, no, that's, 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 that's a good example, right? So we see how those are tied together. Go ahead, Sabrina. I was thinking, um, um, Rahab, 
Yes. Mm. But, you know, um, she obviously, you know, pursued it in a way that I think that was honoring to the Lord. Yes. Her request. But then I was thinking to of Judas and his shame. He hung himself. Yes. Just to, you know, try to escape. Yes. Um, no, a- a- excellent points, right? Because you think of, like, um, how, how, to, how to handle shame in a, in a way that's honoring to the Lord. You go to the Lord in worship, Right. And then you think of, yeah, like, like in the example of Judas, right? Is the complete opposite. Here's someone who betrays the Lord, and then how does he deal with his guilt and shame, right? Instead of coming in repentance, right? This guy goes and hangs himself, wants to completely get rid of it because it's unbearable, right? No, excellent. Any other, any other examples? Yeah, Lawrence. Yes. No, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and I think with each of these points, you can see people respond out of fear, right? A fear um, of being exposed that comes from the sense of shame that, that we have within, right? And, and it's going to drive us in, in you know, one, of, one, or two, one of two directions. So I think, that, I think that's really helpful, right? We kind of think of these things. Um, and uh, no, I think that I think that is so. So then, I want to tie this back into the Christian life, All right? So what does what does that look like for us, right? Because the reality is, all of us, I mean, all of us are working through this, right? We all struggle with being able uh, to be vulnerable, right? And and, there, and again, kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, right? You have all these big categories, right? With just being comfortable with who we are and our weaknesses and failures and all those other things. But then we also have sin and shame and guilt that we still work with as Christians, right? Um, and so I, I think there's at least uh, three things in particular I'd like to spike out in regards to the Christian life that, that help us um, in, in this sense. And again, I think we could spend the whole time just dealing with the Christian life and, and working this out. But at least there's, there's three things in particular to bring out here. So one is to deal with our fear of exposure and our shame through the cross of Christ. That in a sense, that is nailed to the cross. So uh, turn with me to, to, to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Yeah, just a good passage. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul, where Paul says in verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. And so, there's a sense in which all of this, these completed actions, washed, sanctified, and justified in Christ, right? That's us. 
And we need to be reminded, and we need to be reminded daily, that we are forgiven people. We are a cleansed people in Christ. Even though our experience every day will indicate otherwise, right? Because of, um, uh, because of the flesh, right? The, the, the ongoing struggle that we have. But there's another, another, uh, another passage. Turn with me real quick to 1 John chapter 4. This is a, uh, one, that, um, one that I particularly enjoy. So 1 John chapter 4, and we'll read, verses, we'll read verse 10 and then verses 17 and 18. So in verse 10, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then verse 17 and 18. By this is love perfected by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And again, and, and this idea is going to go into next week's lesson when we think about the fear of rejection, right? The response that comes once, once, um, once our shame is exposed. But I think for, for us, it's important that we root ourselves back in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That he has loved us. He is the propitiation for our sins and that this gives us confidence that knowing we are accepted in him secondly and uh and and and, and i'll just say it in in um in, in passing right through redemption we celebrate god's knowledge of us and a really good example of this is psalm 139 where the psalmist just delights in knowing that God is in all places and knows all things. And and that, I think, is really important because in celebration, we say things like, God, try my heart, search me out, show me, lead me, right? Because we view God as Father and no longer as condemning judge. Think, Think of it this way, as someone else has said. The difference between us and the world regarding God's all-encompassing knowledge is we celebrate such knowledge with God as Father, while the world is controlled by fear with God as judge who knows all things. So, but then lastly, just to transition, when we think of the Christian life, we think of it in a, in a local context, in the local church. A local church is made up of members who have committed to one another to live out the Christian life. And it is in this commitment that vulnerability can take place. Right? And, it's, and it's this vulnerability which leads us to deeper relationships. It's that vulnerability that allows us to, um, to, to grow together in Christ. Right? Or, or like you know, we think of the word fellowship. A sharing. It's a sharing we partake in together. And the beautiful thing about that 
is it keeps us from this isolating power of fear, right? What does fear of exposure drive us to? It drives us to isolate, to hide from one another, right? You think of Adam and Eve, right? And how they covered themselves, right? But in reality, through the Holy Spirit, it should drive us closer to one another. And, 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 and you just think of this, right? You think of some of the New Testament texts. You think in James how it says, confess your sins to one another. Or you think of how Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians addresses uh, the church in Corinth with the litany of their problems, right? 16 chapters worth of problems. And what is he doing in chapter 1? He's affirming them, right? Affirming their position in Christ and then working out from there all of these issues. And so there's, there's an important reality even for us in the church, right? Because there, there's a temptation for us to feel like we'll be judged or not receive approval. But then there's also the sense in which us as recipients, right, to sinfully judge someone, to become pharisaical, right, that we, we uh, don't come shoulder to shoulder with someone, but instead we sit in judgment, right? And so I think there, there's in particular um, a, 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 a warning and an exhortation for us to come alongside one another and in our vulnerability to do so in a spirit of love and a spirit of affirmation as brothers and sisters in Christ. Right, The very thing we affirm as members of the body, that we are truly members of Christ, that continues to be affirmed. So um, with that, we have a, a minute or two. Does anyone have uh, any questions or um, input or that they would like to share? All right. Sounds good. Well, um, we'll go ahead and pray, and then next week we'll go into the response as it works out uh, the fear of man, uh, the fear of being rejected. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Um, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, to be renewed, to, uh, that you would help grab a hold of our hearts to a greater degree, that we would bow in, in, in greater degrees of submission through the Spirit, and that you would lead us in a way that would um, drive us from the fear of exposure and to be confident in Christ. We pray that you would bless this morning. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.